Uh, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm, if you're watching online, I'm glad that you are joining with us today. I want to talk to you today about evangelism. And you say, well, what is evangelism? Who are evangelists? From the moment that you received Christ, you became an evangelist, a proclaimer of the good news. Now, you say, well, what does that mean for me, and what can I do with being an evangelist? And I'm really glad that you asked that, because I'm going to tell you today. Um, now, before I get there, I, I want to talk to you about something good from 2020. And you say, can anything good come from 2020? Uh, but actually, when one, of the, one of the things that really happened in 2020 is my wife decided to start redoing furniture. So she started, she started taking furniture and restoring it to its original. And, and one of the things that she wanted is one of those round tables. She wanted a round dining room table. Not a little one, not a medium size, but one of those big ones. You know, the, the kind that you look at in the store and say, boy, I like that, but I'm not going to buy that. Um, so, but she found one. She found the base. She really liked it. And then we looked online and we found this big top. And she said, I want that. So I went and picked it up for her for a little of nothing. And I, and I brought it home, wheeled it in. Here's this six, six and a half foot diameter round tabletop. And it's covered in blue paint. It was the ugliest thing I have ever seen in my entire life. So she had that, and then she started taking that blue paint off. And guess what was under the blue paint? White paint. In fact, I, there had so many coats of paint on this thing, it was incredible. But she kept working on it, kept sanding it down, and, and, and actually got it down to the, to the bare wood. And when she got it down to the bare wood, she started sanding it and polishing it and staining it. And... Something amazing happened. That ugly piece of wood, that blue wood, was restored to its original. You could see the age of the wood. You could see the little imperfections in the wood. And everything about it, the way it was developed, the way it was formed, the way it was shaped, all of the grains in that wood brought out its natural beauty. But its natural beauty had been hidden because somebody decided instead of taking care of it, maybe it would be better if we just painted over the top of it. And I, I look at that, and sometimes I, I look at our life in, in, in the world in which we live, and, and to be honest, I believe that we're in an age where we need restoration. I think there's, there's so many aspects of our culture and society that have been painted over and glossed over with our own opinions and ideas that we can't even see the natural, original beauty. Let me give you a couple of examples. When God created the family, it was, a, it was the building block of society. But our culture has changed it to where it doesn't even recognize or even look like what God originally designed. God is the one that created government. 
And yet government today around the world seems to be in chaos because man has taken their paint of their own opinion and began to paint over everything that God has originally designed. Uh, I know when I look at when the scripture and it says that God created male and female, I still believe God created male and female. I will say that again. I still believe God created male and female. And, there, and you can use whatever, whatever gender pronoun that you want to use, but when we decide that the scripture is wrong and that we're right, we're in need of restoration. That does not mean that I hate anybody because I don't. I don't know of anybody I have animus toward or, or have ill feelings toward. And, and the same with most Christians that I know. But the truth is, if we really want to see God move, if we really want to be the evangelist, the, the, the word of good news in this life, then we need restoration. It doesn't start with family, and it doesn't start with gender, and it doesn't start with government. It doesn't start with culture. It doesn't start with anything else that, that we look at and we see. If you really want to have restoration in life, if you really want to see God move, if you really want to be an effective evangelist, then it has to start at the very beginning. It has to begin with the church. Are you ready? The church was built by Christ. The Bible says, upon this rock I will build my church. And it was built as a masterpiece of beauty. But over the years, people have painted the church with programs and, and political promises. And it has diminished in the natural beauty of the church. The church has been painted over with political aspirations and, and secular advancement and, and trying to get along and go along. And the church has painted layers of man's ideology and has stripped away the, and, and needs to be stripped away rather to expose the beauty of Christ's church. Because the church was not just a, a place to go to feel good. The church has never been about going just so you can belong or be part of a group. It's not a social club. It, it is the body of Christ. It is the hope of the world. The greatest power in this world is not found in Washington nor Beijing, China, or any other place, but it's found in the church of God. It's in God's people that you find true power and source. Bible says, says in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. You don't realize how much power the church has. It's the church that holds back Satan. It's the church that ushers in the presence of God. It's the church when God's people begin to pray, when God's people begin to share the good news of the gospel, amazing things happen. The church that Christ developed, that Christ built, is one of love. Loving your neighbor as yourself. 
If, you, if they ask you to walk a mile, walk two. If they ask you for your coat, give them your shirt. It, it, it's being above and beyond. It, it's loving your neighbor. It's, it's a church full of power of the presence of God. Not, not, a, not a place where you can learn to be whole, but a place where you can be delivered and set free. It's a place of truth where you can speak truth unashamedly. It's the change agent of all cultures. See, we, the church doesn't have to adapt and adopt to culture. The church is above culture. It's below culture. It's in culture, but it's not of culture. We're in this world, but not of this world. The church never has to change its message and never has to change its doctrine and never has to change at all because the church is the power of Christ in the world. And it can subvert and change and transform any culture. It can thrive in any environment because the church does not need the government to be behind it. It doesn't need people to support it. It needs, it needs the power of God behind it. It needs the power of God in it. It needs God's people to say, it's not about me, it's about you. And about being an evangelist and proclaiming what God has asked us to do. There was a story once, I, I love stories, don't you? There was a story once of a, of a flock of geese. And this flock of geese were flying south, heading to Florida for the summer. And they got caught in this, in this big blizzard and, they, and it was hard, it was cold, they couldn't hardly see. And, and one of the geese looked down and they saw this barn on this farm. And the barn door was open. So this flock of geese decided that they would just fly into the barn and wait until this, this storm was over. So they flew in. And then the next morning, the farmer came in. And he saw this, this herd of, or a a flock of wild geese in his barn. And he said, I think I'll feed them. So he fed them. And that storm, that blizzard lasted for three days. And the, and the geese kept saying to themselves, well, once this blizzard's over, man, we're taking off. We're heading south. And but after the blizzard was over, they started thinking, you know, it's pretty nice in this barn. And it requires a lot of work to fly. And this farmer, he kind of thinks it's nice. It's a novelty to have a flock of geese hanging around. So they decided to stay. And they stayed throughout the entire winter. And then when, when spring came, they saw all the, the geese flying back. They thought, you know, why should we fly over there? We have everything we need right here. So the flock of geese decided to stay. They never flew back north and they never flew south. In fact, once a year, the head geese would stand in front of all the other geese and as they saw the geese flying south for the winter, he would retell stories of how at one time they used to be wild and they used to do that. And they would feel good about telling stories of what used to be and what used to happen. 
I think that's kind of what the church hap happened to the church. When, when Christ formed the church, they were barbarians. They were sharing the gospel with anybody and everybody without fear, without favor. They would just share the good news. They were doing what they needed to do. And the church started with this vigorous passion to, to reach the world for Christ. And, and evangelism was the backbone of the church. And somewhere down the line, we became domesticated. My father-in-law told me the story when he became domesticated. He said he walked, got home one day and took his shoes off and left them in the living room. And his wife told him, he said, pick up your shoes and take them to the bedroom. And he said, woman, I run this house. And he took his coat off, put it on his shoes, took his tie off and put it on his shoes. And she just walked right into the kitchen and put dinner right down the garbage disposal. So he said he put his head down, picked up his shoes, picked up his tie, picked up his coat, and he was domesticated ever since. <laughs> I think sometimes that's kind of what happens to, to the church. I, I think over time, uh, ministry wasn't something that was passionate, that wasn't a calling anymore, but it was a vocation, something you could do to, to earn a living. And, and people began to start giving to the needy instead of helping the needy. And, and the church developed programs and ministries to be able to take the place of evangelism, but they never really do. You see, evangelism has, was never designed to be Propaganda, or it was never designed to be a program. It was never designed for something to go out and, and, and gather people in so a pastor could preach to them so they could hear the good news of the gospel. See, evangelism is designed and meant and intent on one person that knows Christ sharing their testimony of what Christ has done for them to another person. It's never been about how great or how little a pastor is. It's never been about the pastors on evangelism. They are to train and equip, but the church does the work of evangelism. I'm waiting. See, church over the years has become something that, that kind of resembles what Christ developed, what Christ created, but we have put on so many layers of, of theology and so many programs to, to get us away from the very heart and backbone of the church, and that is personal evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with anybody and everybody that will listen. See, restoration in, in the church is really called revival. This is what Jesus said on that, on that day when he was getting ready to ascend into heaven. Whoops, I think that's, I don't want to go to that one. 
I'll find it. Anyway, here Matthew 28, 19, he says, go into all the world and make disciples. Jesus, before he ascends into heaven, his very last words to his believers, his followers, was to go into all the world and make disciples. It's important for us to understand that if Christ's last words were for us to make disciples, then I believe it's significant to him. Do you know that, the, that angels cannot preach and proclaim the word of God? That that has been entrusted to you and I, to humanity, that only humanity can preach the word of God? In, in Acts chapter 10, there's a man that's praying and, and, and an angel appeared unto him and he said, go down and get Peter for he can tell you the words where you must be saved. Angels don't proclaim the word of God. Only humanity proclaims the word of God. And the greatest thing that God has ever done for this world, he has placed in our hands and he's asking us and compelling us and urging us to strip away the things that we have put in our life that keep us from being and doing what he has really asked us to do. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get tired of being domesticated. I, I like, you know, when, when, when people, when, when people uh, tell me about stories about their life, now, almost most of the time, this is, this is most of the time, they tell me about the adventures they've had, and it's never about, oh, the game that I was playing in and then we were blowing the other team out by 40 points. It's always the game they were playing in and they were almost going to lose the game, but miraculously, they made the last shot or they hit that home run, or they stole that base, or they made that touchdown. It's always about the ones that require effort and energy. When you talk to somebody about trips they've had and experiences they had in their life, it's never about the times when it was easy and we just, oh, we went over here and we did this and we did that. But it's about, it's about the trips where you took a, went across country with four ball tires and $5 in your pocket. You ever had one of those? You see, it, it's amazing, but, but it's, when, it's when we become raw and we become to live on the edge and, and we start trusting in the Lord and we start walking in faith and we start looking at, at, at the way God wants us to look at. So, so if you really want to have a, a passion, if you really want to be an evangelist, here's, here's what I think we need to do. Number one is we need to return. We have to have a desire to have more of God. Psalm 126 says this, the Lord has done great things for us and we are really glad. Then he says, turn again our captivity, Lord, as the streams of the south. What he's talking about is, is when, the, when the rains came in the, in the spring and those dry uh, beds were flow, overflowing with water, he's saying, God, restore us. Having a heart and a passion to see the work of God in our lives. 
Connecting with past stories is great. Expressing thankfulness is essential. But asking God for the challenges today is, is imperative. That we have to understand that God did great things yesterday and God's going to do great things today. And he used men and women yesterday and he's going to use men and women today. And he didn't have just select men and women, but they were the ones that gave their hearts to evangelism. And the ones he's going to use today are the men and women that will step out in faith and say, I don't care about this world because it's fleeting and it's going to be gone, but I'm going to trust in the Lord and I'm going to be about my father's business. It's time. It's time. Bible says in Psalm 107, it says, they that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. Sitting around on the shore talking about what God will do will never get you to see the great things of God. You have to be willing to launch out. You have to have a desire for more of God. And to have more of God means less of us. We need to, re do you realize that one of the things we don't really hear about much anymore is the second coming of Christ? And yet one-third, roughly one-third of the New Testament talks about the return of Christ. In fact, you can't hardly go but 12 to 13 scriptures in any one of the books in the New Testament without having a reference to Christ's return. It was first and foremost in the, in the early church. See, their focus was on evangelism and about the life to come. It wasn't your best life now. It was your best life when Christ returns. So we need to have a desire for more of God. But we need to be moved with reality. Here's what Psalm 126 says. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goes forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Sowing in tears, casting seed out with tears. And I look at that, and you have to just become aware of the dire need of, of our society, the dire need for salvation, a dire need to return to Christ. We sing a lot about heaven. But we really don't say much about hell. You know, heaven's real. Not because I read that book. But heaven's real. It's a real place. I'm going there. The Bible says, make your calling and election sure. If, you, if you're unsure about where you're going, talk with the Lord. He can get you straightened out really quick. But the thing is, hell is real too. And it's for eternity. And people that don't know Christ, that's where they're going to go. When is the last time that you sat down and started considering how many people do not know Christ. Does it break your heart?
Bible uh, statistics show about one-tenth of the world are followers of Christ. One-tenth. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Augie, would you stand and everybody in front of you, would you stand? You guys just stand right there. Just, just that side right there. So if this is the world... Edmund, would you sit down just for a moment? Ed, Edmund represents Christianity. When the trumpet sounds, he's going. They re represent everybody that's not ready. Do you think we have a need for evangelism? You may be seated if you would. Evangelism is essential, and God put it in our hands. And we have this desire that we need to have more of God, but we need to realize that, that there is a lost world that needs Christ. And we also need to realize that Christ has empowered us with the gospel, that you are a change agent for good, that you're not a a thermometer that, that measures the temperature, but you're a thermostat that changes the temperature uh, and the climate in which you live. And we need to realize that we are not to go around just measuring the temperature of the room, but we can change and transform the temperature and the culture by being passionate about what Christ has called us to do. And it's not hard. It's really, really not hard. It's not hard to follow Christ. It's not hard. The Bible tells us this, that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. It's really something that, that if we, we talk about change and we talk about transformation, but the reality is the heart and the backbone of the church is, has been, and always will be God's people sharing the good news of what God has done for them in their lives. You would be amazed. You say, well, well, I'm kind of introverted. God doesn't care. He made you that way. You don't have to be extroverted to be an evangelist. All you have to do is just share what Christ has done for you. And it doesn't require that you have to know a lot of knowledge. Do you realize that, that the vast majority of people that you will bring to Christ are within the first six months of your salvation? And you say, well, why is that? Because, because we're barbarians, we're raw, we're, we're, we're so full uh, of the joy that we, that we have been forgiven, that we have this new life, that we've been pardoned, that we've been set free, that we will share it with anybody and everybody. And then we get domesticated. I never thought that would sound like a bad word, but it does today. Domesticated. So refuse to be domesticated. Live as a stranger in this world. You know, I, I love the times that we minister in, in Europe, and I, I love Paris. It's one of my favorite cities in the entire world. I mean, it's beautiful. Architecture, I like the people and everything else. But you know, I can be in Paris, but if you hear me talk, they know I'm not of Paris. Paris. 
Yeah. In fact, they'll, they'll, somebody asks me a question, I'll a, I answer in French, and here's the normal response. Oh, you're an American. I can be there, but I know I'm not up there, and they know I'm not up there. I wonder if the world knows that we're not up here. We can be here, but not of here. Live, live for your citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. Live according to the rules and, and the guidelines that Christ has established in our lives. Forget about this world, because this world is fading, and it needs to be transformed. But, but start living by the precepts of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and see what amazing things will happen. Refuse to, to accept the values of this culture. I mean, you can refuse the values of this culture and still love the people that disagree with you. See, when, when you disagree with culture, it doesn't mean that you hate anybody. You can disagree and still love somebody. Live with a sense of mission passion that I need to reach as many people as I can and realize that we are the change agents that God is going to use. And you say, well, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough knowledge. I, I, I just don't know how to speak well. Good. You're a prime candidate. Because so scripture says, in your weakness, I'm made strong. It's never about how good and strong we are. It's about how we give ourselves to him and allowing him to be strong in us. I'm going to ask our praise team to come back. Would you stand with me today? I want to, I want to tell you a story. Another one. This one's out of Scripture. Children of Israel had, had gone over and they had conquered the promised land for the most part. There were still some areas that needed to be knocked out, but they had divided up the land. And, and as they divided up the land, Joshua started speaking to all the people, all the leaders. And he gives this great discourse. I mean, it's amazing. Joshua chapter 24. You have to read it. It, it is just incredible. But he gets to this climax, this apex, this zenith of his, of his speech, and he, and he poses a question. And he says this, but if you're unwilling to serve the Lord, he's, taught, he's just talked about all the things that God has done for them and how he has delivered them and how he has defeated the enemy for them and all of the things that, that he has done for them. And he says, but if you're unwilling to choose to serve the Lord, then choose who you're going to serve. Don't be in and out. Make a decision. Do one or the other. But he goes on to say, you can choose whoever you want. You can, you can try to live for God easy or you can try to live for him hard. He said, but as for me and my house, we are serving the Lord. I wonder how many of us today, God's people, that we could strip off that, those layers of domestication and become raw and real in our relationship with Christ, that we can share the gospel 
Have you ever shared the gospel with somebody and had them spit on you? You know what happens? You think, boy, I'd get mad. No, you won't. I walked away sorrowful that they had rejected Christ. But there's something about stripping off all of the protocol and all the stuff that we make church out to be. And, and it's about getting raw and getting real and realizing that, man, that there is an, an amazing adventure awaiting each and every one of us. It's, it's amazing when you begin to share the gospel with somebody and you see the Spirit of God illuminate their life and transform them. There's nothing like it. You say, well, is it easy? No, it's work. It's hard work. But it's fruitful. It's beneficial. And you'll never find a greater joy. And my guess is, at the end of your days, when you're talking about the good old days and the good old stories, it's those times that you will recall to your children and to your children's children of how God delivered you and he used you to advance his kingdom. Let's make a commitment today. Who are we serving and let's serve him with passion? Can we do that? Would you pray with me?